Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. And here are the nominees for performance by an actress in the leading role. Jessica Chastain, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Olivia Colman, The Lost Daughter. Penelope Cruz, Parallel Mothers. Nicole Kidman, Being the Ricardos. Kristen Stewart, Spencer. The Oscar goes to... Jessica Chastain, guys. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today we're going to be talking about the 2022-2022 ceremony year win for Jessica Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Um, I always, this is interesting because this is a, obviously this was last year's uh, win and normally I'm going back to the 60s, so it's nice to be talking about a year in, in recent memory. Um, and, uh, very quickly, best picture went to Coda best actor went to Will Smith for King Richard, the infamous keep my wife's name out of your fucking mouth year. Um, we'll touch on that. Best supporting actor went to Troy Kotzer for Coda. Um, best supporting actress went to, uh, West side story to Ariana DeBose and a best director went to Jane Campion for The Power of the Dog. Today I am joined by a friend, a comedian, a performer, an actor, and also just a lovely human being. He sent me a very funny <laughs> Christmas gift of a calendar of nothing but pictures of himself, except for on my birthday, there's a photo on the calendar of he and I. It's Jesse Reynolds. Hi, Jesse. <laughs> well, I couldn't have it be totally selfish. <laughs> you know, I had to have a reason for sending it to you. Look, girl, you're in there. I am. Who? I have to ask, how many people did you send this calendar to? Well, I only started sending it around because I was trying to sell them and then nobody was buying it. So I'm like, well, I'm going to send them around for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so I sent quite a few. I, sent, I did sell. I sold 23, though, believe it or not. Oh, good for you. Thank you. Um, Thank you. And, oh, that's really fun. How long did that, there's a lot of photos in there. How long did that take you? Well, you know me, I have a lot of photos. And so I, <laughs> it was like a boring, like winter storm night. And I just got into the wine all by myself and started scrolling through pictures of myself as I do. And then I thought, you know, I should make a calendar. And that's kind of how it was born. And then I started looking up all the national days, like national like, blowjob day, put a picture of a blowjob, you know. <laughs> That sort of thing. Did you? Oh, I haven't looked at that yet. I oh, yeah, March. Uh, I think it's March something. Anyway, enjoy March. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, yeah, I will be celebrating on that day. Mm. Um, so I always like asking people whenever they come onto the show, maybe why they picked a certain year. Why did you pick Jessica Chastain in the eyes of Tammy Faye? Because it was the most current year. And like you said mm. in your intro, I was blown away when I saw the list of options because, I mean, you've been doing this for a minute now. You're going to run out of yeah. years at some point. And mm. so usually they're, they're quite a while ago. Like, I, I mean, the last one we did was 2004, but I was thrilled to see that 2022 was still on the list. So yeah, I jumped at it because we haven't done a, a modern one very often. Which one did we do before? Was it Monster? With, uh, yes. Yeah. 
Right. Okay. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, basically the episodes of best actors that I have left are all sort of like 1930s, 1940s, 1950s, and some of the sixties. Wow. Um, and some of these years are actually incredible. And I've, I've been turned on to a lot of really incredible films and incredible performances, but then obviously some of these films are really a product of their time and they're just, Oh my God, they're so painful. Um, I would say though, that this year, the eyes of Tammy Faye for Jessica Chastain this is a very interesting year because I remember last year, the day of the Oscars, everybody asking me who is going to win because they're like, you know, you have this podcast. I feel like you might have some insight as to like who is going to win. Yeah. And I was right. I did say that it was going to be Jessica Chastain, but I remember being like people, like all the actresses, like leading up to um, the award ceremony won Best Actress. Like at Golden Globes, it was like Nicole Kidman for drama. And I don't even think Jessica Chastain was nominated for the BAFTA, but she won the Screen Actors Guild Award. So this particular year I found to be very interesting. I mean, Penelope Cruz just kind of popped in at the last minute because she was not nominated for any of the precursor awards either. No Golden Globe, no BAFTA, mm. no Screen Actors Guild Award. So it was just this random year where, frankly, I kind of felt like you could make an argument for any one of these performances yeah, to win. Um, because if I'm being honest with you, and it's like normally when I do this podcast, again, I'm talking about movies from the 1970s to the 60s. I don't have like a, a recent memory of of this ceremony or the or this race. And I can't really comment to that. And I never really touch on that kind of stuff because this is before I was born or it was so long ago, I don't remember. But in this particular year, I just remember kind of being a little I wouldn't say disappointed but I remember just kind of thinking like sure these are five great actresses in let's say good movies I see what you mean kind of well a lot of them are sort of I was gonna say remakes not remakes but they're playing real people instead of mm -hmm. original organic characters and I wonder if that has something to do with it well except for Olivia Coleman oh, right. yes. and uh Penelope Cruz. Well, okay. Let me rephrase that. The ones that I think should have won. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. Yeah. This particular year. Yeah. I remember thinking, okay, Kristen Stewart is just going to come in at the last minute and then she's going to win or okay. Penelope Cruz is just going to come in at the last minute and she is going to just win this because I remember her nomination. Everybody was like, Oh, uh, not like Andrea Riseborough this year where everybody was shocked, but I just mean like, because she Penelope Cruz hadn't been nominated for like anything before. Mm -hmm. So uh, to see her on this list. And I remember, yeah, people being like, who do you think is going to win this Oscar? And I remember just thinking like, well, you know, um, I mean, listen, we're, we're, we're going to get into it, but I just remember being like, watch, it's going to be Penelope Cruz, this sort of like dark horse kind of out of nowhere, and she's just going to take it, you know? Um, I agree with so you about Kristen specifically, because I remember thinking it was almost as if Kristen, for Kristen, this was such a departure. Like, you know, Kristen, the celebrity that we're used to seeing, this was quite mm -hmm. like a transformation and everything. And I wondered if that was going to put her over the edge to win versus her actual performance. I completely agree with you. I think every single one of these nominations could have resulted in a win. Yeah. I think the only performance in this list that may have not really had a chance to win would be Olivia Coleman, only because she literally had just won an Oscar like a couple years prior for the favorite. More political, yeah. 
I agree. With that. So they're like, well, like you already have your Oscar. So like, you know, we're not going to give it to you again. Yeah. Um, so soon because it, it wasn't this like, Oh my God performance. Right. Well, I mean, I, I liked it, but I, I don't know that she deserved to win against everyone else in this category, you know? Oh, it's tricky. I mean, tricky. okay, well, actually, let, that's a good that's a good jumping off point. So okay. let's let's just jump right into Olivia Coleman in The Lost Daughter. So this was Maggie Gyllenhaal's directorial debut. I think she actually had won the Directors Guild Award for Best uh, Breakthrough Directorial um, Moment for Your First Film or something like that, which is high praise. I think she was nominated for the Golden Globe for Best Director. Maybe they were expecting a a Best Director Academy Award nomination, but of course, uh, Jane Campion was nominated this year. So they're like, mm, we already have our woman. <laughs> uh, and then with, uh, although she was nominated, Maggie Gyllenhaal was nominated for um, Best Screenplay. But um, just talking about, okay, so The Lost Daughter very quickly, the plot is a woman's beach vacation takes a turn when she begins to confront the troubles of her past. So this is a dark movie and jesse buckley plays like the younger version of herself it's sort of a story where you see a a mother who abandons her children at one point in her life and then she does eventually come back to her children years later but she doesn't regret it but she does have to live with the consequences of that choice for the rest of her life and just how that permeates into everything and who she is and how she is a very selfish person and how she always puts herself first and how that affects her relationship with everyone around her. Very interesting to see a female performance like this. It's basically like any man in any movie, but it's like, hey, we'll make it a female. And it's like, wow. And I I love that um, different kind of gender role swap and how that makes such a difference of perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, this was an amazing performance by Olivia Coleman. I always think about the scene when they ask her to move the uh, the beach um, chair and she's like, no. I always think about that when I think of this movie. But, yeah. you know, I love Olivia Coleman. I love this movie and I love this performance. So have you seen this movie before and what did you think? No, I had not seen it before, but I totally agree with uh, everything you just said. And I especially love that despite her being so selfish and all those things, she wasn't without guilt. And we saw that with the flashbacks she kept having, she couldn't stop thinking about her kids. It was like they were always on her mind. And so as hard as we might try to run away from our problems, they follow us. And so I thought that was a really cool part about the plot. Um, But she did a great job. Like she did such a good job that it was almost like she wasn't acting at all. Like her face, she's got a face, baby. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like the driving scenes where you could see the tension on her face and like, she didn't turn it cartoony. Like, I feel like it'd be so easy to become almost like a Corella DeVille type. I'm a mean mom, but she didn't do that. Right. She played it very real. I mean, especially when she felt powerless in moments, like whenever she's watching that movie at the cinema and those teenagers like won't stop being rowdy. Yes. And then she goes to the usher and then the usher comes in and then still nothing gets done. And the fact that she has no control and no power over the moment and, or the injustice of the moment, yeah. it's like she just loses it. And a lot of that scene was literally, you just have to watch her face. It's not about the words. It's just about her expression and her reactions. Yeah. Like her face made me think twice about getting Botox again, because like she, (laughs) so well, it was really, uh, was really cool. And I liked too, how it, it highlighted sort of how difficult it can be to be a mom and still maintain your own life. And that struggle that I think more moms 
deal with than we give them credit for. Because I think there's this idea that when you have a mom, you're supposed to, or when you are a mom, you're supposed to just love it. And your kids, your whole world and forget about your own identity. So we keep calling her selfish, but like, really, I think we all have sort of those selfish desires in life. Well, of course. And I mean, the thing is, is what is it? The the trope? It's always like my dad said that he was going to go and buy a pack of cigarettes, you know, and then he never yeah, comes yeah. home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's sort of like this is they're like, let's do that. But like with the mom and yeah. it's like, wow, this is so amazing. Right. And it's just so funny because it really just goes to show that like this was something that was so acceptable for a man to do throughout the entire 20th century, yeah. maybe still to this day where it's just sort of like, oh, my dad left. And you're just kind of like, yeah, like men can be shitty. But then when it's a woman, it's like this unforgivable quality. Oh, but yeah. she does play the character in a very sympathetic way, even though she is incredibly selfish. And I think if there is any kind of part of you, uh, okay, well, I would, I think this is more towards anybody that's not a straight white man listening to this. Not that I have a large audience of straight white men, but <laughs> We'd like any fun. kind of. <laughs> Yeah, but like any kind of gay, any kind of person who has any kind of feminine energy who might feel powerless in moments, I think that we can really relate to this character. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like kind of amazing to see her just be like, fuck you, I'm going to do what I want. Because I think secretly we wish that we could do that. You know, I, th I have a theory that's why gay men like witches so much. And we like yeah. evil villains and evil queens for that exact reason. And there's an argument that could be made that this character is kind of like an evil queen. In a way, I mean, I think that the biggest drag queen this year was Tammy Faye. I think that we can <laughs> yeah, right. basically lock that one in That's for sure. sure. But I do think it was funny, though, that you said that you were thinking about not doing Botox to move your head around to do expressions. I've always, I've never gotten Botox, but I'm like, maybe I will, like, maybe I will one day. But like, if you get Botox, like, can you just like not move your forehead at all? Well, it, Is that what it does? Yeah, I mean, it really paralyzes the muscles. Like half your audience is going to be like, <laughs> skip over this. We already know. But uh, yeah, no, it, it paralyzes your muscles. So while it's active, which only lasts about four to six months, you cannot oh. move those muscles. So it does, you know, affect your ability to emote. And over time, the idea is that it will prevent wrinkles from forming. So the most distinguished faces have a lot of wrinkles. And if you get Botox regularly, you won't develop those. But then like if you get it and then you like, you know, you said it lasts for like four to six months or whatever, and then you just don't get it anymore. Yeah. Is there any kind of like lasting no. side effects or does it just like go away? It just goes away. That's what sucks about it. But the thing is, so they say it's kind of like freezing aging in that area where you get it for those four to six months. But as soon as it wears off, the aging starts again. Oh, I see. Okay. Buying time, um, kind of. <laughs> I am not above any plastic surgery, any kind of procedures, but the one th procedure that I do notice that I can never not stare at is when people get their upper lip injections. <laughs> that is the one thing that I'm always like, ugh, too much. Like it's always too much. Always too much, especially for men. So when everyone's yes. getting lip fillers, I went to the guy that does my Botox and I was like, I want lip fillers. And he wouldn't do it. And thank God he didn't. But he brought me in front of the mirror and he said, turn your upper lip up a little bit, like just kind of flip it up. And he's like, that's what you'd look like. And he's like, how ridiculous do you look? And I was like, okay, I don't need it. <laughs> so I appreciate that I have a good doctor. Not all of them will be so honest. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I, they're doing you a solid yeah. for sure. I, I always find the, uh, the upper lip injections I, that I can't stop staring at it. Like 
if there's an actor, like there's this one actress in the show Yellowstone, which is basically just a hate crime against gay people to watch, but I'm so into it. Oh, I know. And it's like a Republican's dream. It's like the straight male fantasy where like the highest currency is power and they're all outlaws and everything calls for a shotgun. But anyway, <laughs> um, there's one actress on the show that has like really intense, like upper lip injections. And I swear to God, every scene, it's all I focus on. But anyway, we're getting totally off topic, but I, I just think that because it is like, when you get with those too much going in the upper lip, you look like a Simpson. That's what yeah. You look like. yeah. Yeah. It's the duck face. It's, it's, oh. it's really intense. But anyway, so getting back to Olivia Coleman mm-hmm. and her non botoxed <laughs> face, but, um, it's funny because, you know, she's on her vacation, but she's also working. She's doing her own sort of thing. And then she runs into Dakota Johnson, who Dakota Johnson really is. Um, this is a really great role for her. And this is a really different type of role for her. And I think she's great in this movie. And she sees her relationship with her daughter. And she kind of purposely fucks it up by stealing the doll. Which, by the way, come on. They literally were sending out, like, a fucking search party looking for this stupid doll. The missing posters? I was like, really? We're gonna have, like, missing doll posters now? I know, it was like an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. They're looking for the doll. Anyway. Um, But, you know, and so when, uh, you know, she is purposely trying to fuck up their mother-daughter relationship because I think that she thought that it would bring them closer together because she would have to be there for her daughter because she was, like, clearly oh. having an affair with sexy Paul Meskel. Yes. Um, and so this movie, this character, it's she's very flawed. She's very complicated. But you also understand the justification of her actions. And if you are a person who's ever felt powerless... um as a as a as a woman as a mother as a frankly as a gay it's just sort of nice to just be able to be the garbage person because it's always the guy yeah so it's just kind of refreshing to watch it and it it's almost like weirdly empowering even though she's like a shitty person well it gives, you know? it gives gave me a different perspective because i have two friends and only two friends uh who's who've lived this sort of situation where the mom was the one that walked out on the family. Mm -hmm. And you're right. When you say it is like this horrible, it's like, Oh my God, could you do anything more wicked than to leave your kids as a woman? Uh, And this humanized it for me. And this showed me that maybe those moms who I've heard about growing up have stories similar to this. You know what I mean? Uh And like they're their own people too. Um, I think it was really funny to cast Peter Sarsgaard as the person that uh, Jesse Buckley engages in an, in an affair with. It seems like Peter Sarsgaard is just the person that like these actresses always seem to engage in an affair with, like in an education, in Kinsey. Oh, yeah. And this was, uh, so Peter Sarsgaard is Maggie Gyllenhaal's husband. And she actually like directed the sex scene between Jesse Buckley and Peter Sarsgaard. And apparently this like brought his and Maggie Gyllenhaal's marriage closer together um, because it was a way of redefining their boundaries and what they want from sex and the intimacy and stuff like that. Yeah, I believe that. I mean, this is the whole argument for open relationships and stuff is like, you realize, oh, someone else wants him. I want him too again. Yeah, (laughs) right. I mean, Daniel and I are in an open relationship and I would say it definitely brought us closer together. Oh, yeah. Which... You think it would, or maybe to like heteronormative standards, you would assume that it would be the opposite, but 
No, I mean, it's, it's different for everybody. Well, listen, we could do a whole podcast on this because something you don't even know about me right now is I'm kind of dating a couple and it's like, it's like it's heating up into a throuple situation, which I never thought I would be involved with, but it's going great. And it's really opened my mind, even as a gay, into how these things work. So, so yeah, anyway, we should have another talk about that. I mean, that I'm clutching my pearls because in Kingston, Ontario, I'm a little shocked. <laughs> and listen to this. They're both in the military. It's like my gay fantasy Ooh. come true. <laughs> that is pretty hot. It actually. is. And one night when I was sleeping over, I took my chihuahua out to pee in the middle of the night. And there I am standing in rubber boots in the middle of Kingston with a chihuahua after I just had sex with two military guys. And I'm thinking, <laughs> this is my life. <laughs> <laughs> I love this journey for you. Thank you. Um, the only thing that I thought was kind of weird, and I think this was a directorial choice, but everybody in the movie, like those American tourists that come in at one point and they're so loud and obnoxious, um, which for an American tourist, that's weird. Uh, <laughs> it's the way that they always seemed like all the tourists, they always seemed really shifty. Yes. And I was like, is that supposed to be Olivia Coleman's paranoia? And her anxiety of, oh, I'm going to get caught. And we're supposed to see it through her eyes. Or were they actually genuinely like really weird and suspicious? Yeah, well, that's the thing with this movie is, and I don't, I found my first note of all was this movie was a little too symbolic and intellectual for me. <laughs> sure. Okay. <laughs> like the orange at the end, you know, like there was some very much symbolic things. And I think what you just described was one of them. I think there probably was a deeper meaning there, but I couldn't figure out what it was either because why were they acting like that? Um, I think my favorite moment, other than whenever they ask her to move her beach chair and she's like, no, like I'm good. And they're like, no, like we just want to take this chair so that we can like accommodate our whole family. She's like, no, I completely understand that. I just don't want to move. I love that because I've wanted to be that person many times. I've, I've had people approach me when I'm in public and I'm settled and they're like, hi, could you accommodate us? Because we decided to show up late. Thanks. Like, yeah. It's actually usually whenever I'm going through customs or I'm going through um, uh, the border security at the airport, it's always people from the South coming up to me being like, hi there, we are slept in and we just, could we just cut you in line? And you're like, yeah, sure, fine, like whatever. And then they end up bringing like their whole fucking family, kids, grandparents. And you're like, okay, I thought it was just you, but fine, bitch. Yeah. It, that actually always happens to me. And it's always, it's all, so anyway, that, that particular scene for me was, was justice, but um, my other favorite scene in this movie is whenever Dakota Johnson gets the doll back and then she, Olivia Coleman's like, I took it. I don't know why I took it. And she's like threatens her. And I just in my mind am laughing at the idea of Maggie Gyllenhaal directing Dakota Johnson being like, okay, so in this scene, you'll be telling Oscar winner Olivia Coleman, you better watch your back, bitch. Like, <laughs> yeah, just I just I love I love the the moment of just threatening Olivia Coleman like that. It, it just um, that I think that was one of my favorite moments is just I, I think Dakota Johnson, this is just a departure from like how I might have known her or seen her or like. Uh, 50 sure. shades of gray yeah. or she always just kind of seems really cheesy and corny to me and so in yeah. this movie it just seemed a little bit more serious and i just love the fact that she's fucking threatening olivia Cole. well she was stronger and it was cool to see like olivia is such a tough character you just talked about the beach scene the beach chair scene so to have her stand up to her 
like she's mm-hmm. an intimidating person to stand up to but but I agree with you about the beach thing like how many times have we all been that person at the gym when someone asked to cut in or like how many sets do you have left bro and you were like oh just one no problem when you really want to tell them to fuck off Oh my God. Yeah. You know what? Not even that long ago. Uh, this was actually like the height of the pandemic. I was working out at some like pull-up machine or some like, I was doing like dips, like a tricep dip anyway. And I remember this guy was using like three or four stations at once. And then he came over to me and he was like, Hey, can I like cut, like, can I like work in like between your sets? And I'm like, it's fucking COVID man. Like we're working out with masks on no, like you would have to wipe it off in between every single time you use it. And I was like, no, and I remember he was like, well, I want to use this machine. I'm like, you're currently using three or four machines. And then he was like, well, I just don't understand why it's a big deal. I'm like, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. You don't understand why it's a big deal. And then he was like, well, you're just standing here on my phone. And it was the most amazing. Oh justice. I actually, I actually wasn't on my phone. I was using a timer on my phone in between sets, like in between rest periods. And I pulled up my phone and it was just a clock timing down. And I was like, this, you mean this, me being on my phone, how is that any? of your business and obviously this is a timer you need to fucking you need to fucking step down man like fuck off and i remember i remember that was my olivia coleman beach beach chair moment i think about it once a week (laughs) oh oh, yeah like they go for the phone thing so before you finish your story i was gonna tell you one time i was at the gym with my ex-boyfriend like recently you know him joey and we were someone did that to him and they, and he said no. And I made me so hot. I was like, Oh, that's hot because I'm a little bitch. I would be like, sure. No problem. Daddy here, have the machine. But he said no. And then the guy pulls out the phone thing. You're just sitting there on your phone, which Joey was, but it doesn't matter. He still stood his ground. And I was so impressed. Good. Oh, that's, that is, you go, you two. (laughs) <laughs> okay, a couple couple facts about this movie. Yeah. So Maggie Gyllenhaal and Elena Ferrante, the author of the source novel, only approved the film's adaptation if it would be directed by a woman. So oh, there you go. Wow. Um, and oh, this is Paul Meskel's first feature film, and he was not surprisingly very nervous about asking to share a kissing scene with Dakota Johnson. And this also happened to be his first scene that he shot whenever he was making it with... Um, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Also, shout out to Jesse Buckley for really elevating Olivia Coleman's performance because I don't know, would she be nominated if you didn't see the reasoning behind, like, you know, um, all of her actions and why she was the way that she was? Jesse Buckley really was that supporting uh, character that really lended to the perspective of Olivia Coleman's performance. So also just shout out to Jesse Buckley. Yeah, that was, they were all great. Uh, I didn't know that about it, of her not wanting to do it unless it was female led. I, I think that's great. Do you have anything else that you would like to add to Olivia Coleman's performance before we move on? Well, do you know what the orange at the end meant? Cause I couldn't figure that out. The very last thing was the orange. She's peeling an orange. Yeah. It's symbolic of the one connection that she has to her daughter and their love for each other because it was like, oh, like, mommy, do the thing that I love when you peel the orange and it's just in one rope. And, um, oh, right. the way because that was like her quirk thing. She's like, oh, I, do, I don't know why I do this, but I have to do this. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. It was like, so at the end, it was just to show that she left her daughter, but it doesn't mean that she doesn't love her. Aww. That's yeah. cute. Thank you for explaining. That's kind of what I gathered, but I wanted to know for sure. So great. Yeah. Or at least that's how I interpret yeah, no, it. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And that's probably very true to all the moms out there in real life that have done this. I'm sure it's not that they don't love their kids. It's just there's extenuating circumstances. It's complicated. Very. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, so let's talk about Nicole Kidman and being the Ricardos. I'm pretty sure that uh, Nicole Kidman borrowed um, the Eyes of Tammy Faye's jawline for this film. I think she just borrowed it straight from Jessica Chastain and just molded it to her face. I wonder, yeah. People were so upset that Deborah Messing was not um, a cast for this role, not only because she looks exactly um, like... Uh, Lucille Ball Ball, but just because of the fact that she's played her so many times in so many different incarnations but I have to say for me Nicole Kidman she really sold it and I also just think that Nicole Kidman compared to Deborah Messing Nicole Kidman brings this sophisticated level of depth that I just don't know if Deborah Messing could bring to this role specifically but very quickly being the Ricardos it follows Lucy and Desi as they face a crisis that could end their careers and another that could end their marriage. So Desi is having an affair played by Javier Bardem and uh, Nicole Kidman is being outed as a communist, which this is during the time when if you were a communist, like you were blackballed from ever working again, like Dalton Trumbo uh, won uh, like an Oscar and somebody else had to win on his behalf. Like it was so silly because he was outed as like a communist. But anyway, this was a very dark time in uh, American American history. But anyway, talking about specifically Nicole Kidman in Being the Ricardos, one of my favorite jokes about this was from Amy Schumer at the Oscars. And she said, you know, Nicole Kidman, it's so amazing um, that in Being the Ricardos, you guys decided to make a movie about the funniest woman in the world without having a single moment that was funny. <laughs> oh, isn't that interesting? I don't know if that's true. There was some some giggly moments, but not funny. I funny. I don't know. I didn't really find the movie funny at all, but like I do love seeing that sort of harsh harder side of Lucille Ball because most comedians oh, that I know off stage like aren't terribly funny. They're actually kind of a little scary. Yeah, <laughs> being no. honest with you. Oh, but I, don't you love that like contrast? I do. I love that. Yeah. It's like the the happy sad clown thing. And I wrote that down too that she nailed that balance between like the funny showgirl that we know and like the shrewd smoking businesswoman that was like, you know, knew what was up. But I think just to go back to your comment about Deborah Messing, she could have done a great job too. And I love both of them, but I think you hit the nail on the head where Nicole was able to really toe that line between being cartoony and authentic. And I worry mm-hmm. that Deborah would have tipped it to the cartoony side, especially because people are used to seeing her being so funny. And we know Nicole more as a dramatic actress. Yeah, exactly. Um, this film was only nominated for acting, which generally means that the movie itself isn't super entertaining. I'll be honest with you. The first time that I watched this movie, Oh my God, I hated it. I was so bored. And I remember just being like, this is not, this is the kind of movie that you watch by yourself. You don't watch it like with friends. Like it's not like, Hey, like, you know what? I'm in the mood to watch tonight because it is a really like dramatic piece of acting. And, um, I totally see why she was nominated. She nails the voice. She nails the big, um, you know, comedic, uh, type, of acting that Lucille Ball did in the show. I did think it was funny the way that like they would be describing a scene and she would go like full a beautiful mind in her head of the actual sketch and then she would like play it out and stuff like that. I thought that was kind of um I thought that was kind of funny. Uh but overall um I actually thought that my favorite parts was whenever she was at was it RKO and she was younger and then she got dropped by RKO after the big street came out and it was this big hit, but that she was like 30, 
five or something. And they're like, oh, you're so old. So um, I loved it when she was younger, um, a, a younger Lucille Ball. And she had this edge to her and she was coming up in Hollywood, but it didn't work out the way that she wanted it to. And as an audience member, it's like, oh, like it seems so bleak for her, but you know what's on the horizon. And for me, that was the most interesting part of this performance. I didn't really care about her giving the businesswoman special the whole time. Yeah, okay. But like, but like when she disagreed, for instance, like when her and Desi would like disagree on like the sketch, there was that big blowout in the middle there. What was it about? The, uh, the flowers or something? No, I should grab them like this. No, you got to grab them like this. That's what I mean about the businesswoman. I like when she was standing her ground and like being a bitch. Because mm. in those days, I think everybody expected female performers just do whatever the men wanted, and she didn't. I remember thinking, hmm, is Nicole Kidman the right choice for this? And then literally within the first five minutes of the movie, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this could have been a very caricature kind of performance, but she makes it yeah. very serious, very dramatic. I think she actually won the Golden Globe for Best Performance Drama. So... You know, I again, this also just really contributes to the conversation of like who really was going to win this Oscar because you could all of these performances are so different. And um, I mean, Nicole Kim and she only has the one for the hours, which is funny because in that movie, she was only in it for like 20 minutes. But um, Julianne Moore and Meryl Streep were in the movie for like 40 something minutes and they were like supporting. So it. It, it's just kind of crazy to think that Nicole Kidman only has the one Oscar. So I remember thinking like, yeah, like she could possibly win this Oscar, but also so could basically anybody else on this list. But the only one that I thought personally they wouldn't was obviously Olivia Colman because it was just too soon. But anyway, um, I think that she should have uh, won an Oscar for Moulin Rouge. But anyways, that's personal preference. I um, fucking hate that movie, no, girl. God. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. See, this is why we're opposite gays, but friends. <laughs> well you're the britney i'm the christina yeah, yeah. Said it, not me. Um, listen i think though that she did a great job balancing it but do you think that she disappeared like not to compare her to jessica but like for me jessica chastain like i could not see jessica i could still see nicole if you squint that's interesting i mean i recently watched the help and i could see a little bit of jessica chastain in the help in the eyes of tammy faye okay throughout um not like obviously they're two different accents but like uh, maybe a, a a little bit um but for me no i felt like nicole kidman really was like that mob boss energy yeah and i i really 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 enjoyed that um it's it's interesting because i saw her in the movie the, the northman and I honestly could argue that she could be, she should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actress for for that because that's a sort of another role where she's very much in charge. She's maybe like a little scary, but you kind of understand like where she's coming from yeah. because this is kind of the playground that she's she's working in, you know. And um and uh, I found the movie to be uh a like well paced i enjoyed it the second time watching the first time i watched it i found it kind of boring um but really a fantastic performance by nicole kidman and i completely understand like why she was nominated i think she did a good job also nailing the voice of yes. lucille ball yeah. um 
and she did a great job at recreating this the, the sketches and um, the relationships that she had with her co-stars. J.K. Simmons was also nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I, I don't know about that personally, but no. like whatever, that's a different podcast. But overall, fantastic performance. And again, I think that compared to Deborah Messing, who looks exactly like Lucille Ball, yeah. I think Nicole Kim Nicole Kidman brings this level of depth and prestige that I just don't know if Deborah Messing could have brought. Totally to agree. The, role. the layers, the layers of like that there's something darker underneath this happy showgirl. I think she nailed that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And again, my favorite scene was when she got dropped by RKO. Um Yeah. Couple facts about this movie. So prior to filming, Lucy Arnaz, who was the daughter of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, um, had told writer-director Aaron Sorkin that it was okay to make Lucille stubborn and headstrong in this movie, as this is how she was in real life. After seeing the movie, Arnaz released a video on her YouTube channel on the 17th of October, 2021, in which she called the movie, quote, freaking amazing. She complimented Sorkin for making a great movie that really captured the time period and had wonderful casting. She also said that Nicole Kidman, quote, became my mother's soul. She also said that Javier Bardem didn't look like her father, but he has everything that dad had. He has wit, his charms, his dimples, and his masculinity. And I think coming from her daughter, I think that's like high praise. Yeah, well said. I mean, that's interesting because I remember thinking that he looked nothing like him either, but when you mentioned masculinity, he certainly brought that. And so maybe that's what they were trying to balance by casting Javier. Mm, It's funny, Kate Blanchett was actually originally cast but in January 2021, she had to drop out and was replaced by Nicole Kidman. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. And originally, before Aaron Sorkin signed on as the director, the project was originally offered to David O. Russell and for a very short time, Jennifer Lawrence and David O. Russell were interested before he ultimately passed. Oh, wow. I don't know if Jennifer Lawrence could have done this role, to be honest with you. As Lucy? No way. Yeah, I don't see I don't it. See it but amazing performance by Nicole Kidman. I just wish that the movie would have been a little bit funnier. <laughs> a little bit funnier. And like some of the critics I saw were saying it was a sorry excuse for a biopic. I don't think it was supposed to be a biopic. It was just know, everything a snapshot, now. you know? Yeah, everything now is always has to be based on someone. It's just how people win Oscars these days. <laughs> okay. You know? Um, okay, well, do you have anything else that you would like to add to her performance before we move on? Let's move on. Okay. Hey, Best Actress listeners, enjoying the show? Want to hear more? Access our entire catalog of Best Actress episodes from the very beginning, ad-free, by subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com bestactress. By subscribing, you will also gain access to new episodes one day earlier than their normal release day. Best Actress Podcast will always have 10 free episodes available, but with the release of a new episode, the oldest will go to Patreon, where you can access it anytime with your subscription. Come on, ladies, it's a Fritz Bernays. It's no question. Visit patreon.com slash bestactress to subscribe. I'm so excited to talk about this one. Let's talk about Kristen Stewart in Spencer. So very quickly, um, Diana Spencer, Princess Diana, is struggling with mental health problems during her Christmas holidays with the royal family at their Sandringham, Sandringham, I'm probably pronouncing that so wrong, let's say Sandringham estate in Norfolk, England, decides to end her decade-long marriage to Prince Charles. Um, Sally Hawkins in this movie is playing a supporting role as Maggie. And basically, uh, this film was such a victory for Kristen Stewart because everybody just knows her as Twilight or um, Snow White and the Huntsman. 
And she had won multiple Razzies for both of those performances. And she has these amazing uh, performances that so many people enjoy. Um, But I think because of uh, her reputation as... Because uh, she, I think a lot of people thought that she was going to be nominated for Best Supporting Actress for Clouds of Sils Maria, and that never ended up happening. And so I think with this, people were like, if she doesn't get the nomination, it's because the Academy is biased toward her, almost like Jennifer Lopez in a way, oh. where she didn't get the nomination for Hustlers. And this movie, this role, and this nomination proved critics and audiences wrong for so many reasons. It's like she clearly has this range. She clearly can do a different accent. It kind of came and went in the beginning, and it was not great at first, but she did eventually consistently have the accent of Diana. Um, Having seen The Crown so many times and seeing the new incarnations of Princess Diana... Um, this is definitely a very pretty performance of Princess Diana, I would definitely say. I don't know if she had all of her mannerisms because watching so many versions of Princess Diana, I would say she did a lot of Princess Diana. She had her chin down a lot, um, like a lot. And she often kind of spoke like with her head sort of tilted to the side and um, she was very meek. And I think Kristen Stewart, this is certainly her interpretation of Princess Diana, but um, for me, this movie checked all of the boxes. I think that it's such a victory for her, proving everybody wrong, um, and it's such a departure from her performance in Twilight. But girl, listen, I've seen all those Twilight movies. I love them. And it's just so nice to finally see her being recognized as a serious actress and I loved this movie. I loved this performance. And I was just so happy to see her nomination last year. And again, I also maybe thought, oh, maybe she'll be the spoiler. Maybe she'll win. But anyway, uh, what did you think of the performance? And what did you think about the film? Well, I can see why she was cast. That's like the first thing. Because you know that like sort of doe-eyed, sniveling, broken-hearted look she's so famous for? She brought a lot of that to this role, which was necessary. But I'm not, I'm like self-proclaimed not a fan of Kristen Stewart I'll put her and (laughs) Anne Hathaway in the same category I just they bother me and I enjoyed this movie and I think she did a great job so that's a testament to her because I honestly went into it like with my arms crossed puss on my face like I don't want to watch this Kyle's lucky I like him Uh, but but I, I actually did like it and I was very impressed by her performance and I think it's because I wasn't watching Kristen I was watching Diana and so and so she did a great job phenomenal I think my only criticism was just the, um, at the very beginning, she lost her accent in one of her first opportunities when she's to speak. And she asks like, excuse me, we're like, at the diner and she walks in and everyone's like, Oh my God, that's Princess Diana. And she was like, she was like, excuse me. She was like, where oh, am I? <laughs> and I was like, Oh girl, no. Yeah, I remember what, that and I'm like, what? What was that? No, 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 no. But she was nailing the mannerism. And then you're like, ugh. But then in the following scenes for the rest of the movie, she really nails the accent and she nails the mannerisms and she nails the spirit of Diana very, very well. It is funny, though, because she was not nominated for the BAFTA, which I feel like if you're going to play like a British royal, it's like you need that seal of approval from the mm-hmm. British yeah. Academy. 
and she didn't get nominated for the BAFTA. So I think people were like, eh, she's probably not going to be nominated for this Oscar. So when I did see, yeah, that she was, it was like good because she deserves it. Um, when you saw that first scene, though, the one you were just talking about and she's swearing and stuff. I remember I was thrown by the fact that they had her like swearing right out the gate. But I was like, <laughs> it humanized her because... I'm not a huge royal fan, you know, I know what everybody knows, but I just, I never thought of Princess Diana in that sort of real person way that, yeah, of course she swears and she runs around with her kids and stuff. I always thought of her as a princess. So I think coming out the gate with that was smart of them because it made us see the real woman. I think my one criticism of the movie is if you don't know the backstory of Camilla uh, Parker Bowles and, and Charles and their affair and how it affected Diana and how she was like really the victim of like the paparazzi and of the whole institution of the Royal family. It's like, if you don't know all of that backstory, it seems like a bit of a really weird, dramatic performance from Diana. It's like, Oh my God, like, why are you being such a spoiled brat? I wish maybe there was a little bit more clarification on that. So for example, and it's like, Oh, like, he got her the same pearls. And it's like, who is she? I mean, I know that you're talking about Camilla, but like maybe for a lot of the Americans, maybe they don't know that. Yeah, good point. Um, there was a little bit of that. Um, one of the funniest moments in the movie, obviously the most iconic scene is the pearl soup. Oh, the dinner scene. That blew my mind, that scene. Like, <laughs> the disgust you could see on everybody's face and the way it tied into her eating disorder. Like I felt like I wanted to throw up. Yeah, it was gross when it needed to be gross. She did this really fantastic way of making you feel trapped yeah. with her. And I really enjoyed um, some of the moments where uh, she would fantasize about certain things, about seeing certain people. And then it turns out that like they weren't there, like when she would see Maggie played by Sally Hawkins and then she wouldn't be there. But then at one point she is there and she goes, oh, you're actually here it does make you feel like you're seeing things through her uh, assumed paranoid perspective, but it, uh, it makes for a really interesting film. Yes. It almost does kind of come across as like a play a little bit, but it, I didn't find that to be terribly distracting. I don't know if I fully understood and agreed with the um, comparisons to Anne Boleyn and King Henry VIII, I could see similar, I, you could make an argument, but I don't know if it was truly effective. Um, but just overall, very layered performance and a side of Kristen Stewart that we'd never seen before. I think that her relationship with uh, William and Harry, it's, it's very sweet and it feels like it's the only time where she doesn't feel trapped and she feels like she can be herself. Right. Um, I, love that I thought you, that was, I love that you said that about it. It's like a play because that makes perfect sense to me. And that like, you know, that creepy Butler, like even at the dinner scene, he's just talking loudly so everybody can hear him. And we're supposed to just pretend we can't all hear him. Like that was very playish. Or when yeah. he caught her in the freezer snacking in the middle of the night, like, was he really there? Was he not? So that was, it kept your attention because of that. No, definitely. And, um, I would definitely say, I don't care. I don't care if you're a uh, Kristen Stewart Stan or not. I think the first 20 minutes of the movie, your brain is truly resisting that it's Kristen Stewart. Yeah. And you're like, mm. but then I think she really wins you over. Yeah, There's this did. threshold that she needed to pass. And I think that she did. So this is why I keep saying like this movie is a victory in more than one way, not just because of the nomination, but it's like, she just proved to every, she proved everybody wrong. Yeah. I would agree with that. Um, I also think, you know, she has a lot going on in this movie emotionally. 
There's a lot of mental health issues. I think that she really carries that well. And I think that this movie, there's really not a lot going on exactly. There's no like, oh, I'm pregnant and oh, I'm going to like have an abortion. Like there's no big dramatic beats. It's really just the emotional turmoil that she's in. And Kristen Stewart is really doing the emotional heavy lifting throughout this entire picture because that's really all this movie is. And I think that she does a really great job and I think that she nailed it. It really focuses on like the way family life was for them, not just necessarily the the big public moments. Totally. And Mm. how about that lesbian scene at the beach? Oh my God. So (laughs) cute. And she just kind of is like, huh? What? You? Okay, let's go for a walk. Like it was. I liked it. I thought that was a really cute moment. And I have to, I just want to give a special shout out to the actor who played the young Prince William. Oh, he was so good. Didn't you? Think? Oh. I thought he was great. Like, cause he, he was so young and like as an actor, the way he would put his inflection in weird places. Maybe if you watched it again thinking of this, you would notice, but like he would, like one time when she was locked in the bathroom, he was like, Mom, you told me if you. We're acting really silly to let you know. Well, you're acting really silly. Like, just, he was so adult about it. I'm not even doing it justice explaining it, but I shout out to him. Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. I love that. I didn't, I didn't notice that. I love that. Um, But yeah, overall, I mean, I just, um, you do have a little bit of the Kristen's this, this, this stutters moments Uh that she was always really famous for the like no like whenever she used to you know that was like kind of her her signature thing is she Um, gonna cry or is she gonna throw up yeah exactly it was that there were a few moments like that and i would say pearl soup bordered on that um but overall i like that they didn't present her in a necessarily stable way but she's still a sympathetic character and um my only criticism of the movie is I just think that there should have been a little bit more backstory for people who might not know of like the affair. And Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I also think that it was nice. They didn't show the death. I think it would have made it a little more crass and like, you know, life tiny. Yeah. So yeah, I thought it was very well done as a whole the movie, but uh, yeah, good for Kristen. Cause I don't like her and I liked her in this. I love that. Um, Princess Diana's former bodyguard, Ken Worf, on Stewart's performance said, quote, out of all the people who have played Diana over the past 10 years, she's the closest to her. She managed to perfect her mannerisms. So that's that's high praise. And um, director Pablo Lorraine had Kristen Stewart watch Gina Rollins's performance in A Woman Under the Influence to prepare for her role. And for anybody that has listened to that episode for A Woman Under the Influence, um. I remember uh, Josh Murray selected Gina Rollins as the winner that year. I remember I hated that movie, but it was like an unhinged performance and it was incredible. I just hated the movie and I can actually see the parallels of the performance to Gina Rollins. So I think that's a fun little callback if you guys have listened to that episode. Okay. So uh, do you have anything that you would like to add before we move on? No, let's move on. Okay, this one I'm really excited to talk about because I'd never seen it. Uh, and let's talk about Penelope Cruz in Parallel Mothers. So very quickly, oh this is the story of two mothers who bond in an unexpected way after giving birth on the same day. And you have Melina Smith playing Anna, and you have Israel Elejalde, again, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong, playing Arturo. And in it, Penelope Cruz... Uh, 
engages in an affair with Israel, who is or Arturo, sorry, who is married, and then she gets pregnant, and then he kind of goes away after she has the baby because she decides, like, she goes full Madonna, and she's like, I'm keeping my baby. And then she kind of does her own thing, and then he kind of comes in and out. Uh, and, okay, never seen this movie before. Me neither. I do have to say this could have been 30 minutes less. I didn't enjoy the the editing and the directorial choices of having like a 40 minute setup before we got to the meat of the story and the drama of the babies being mixed up about how one of the babies was dead. I thought we were focusing on the affair for a minute. There was way too much setup. I think if the movie would have started in the hospital and they were both pregnant at the same time, immediately as an audience member, I've never seen something like that. I'm hooked. I don't need 40 minutes off the top of, just setting up, going on dinners, having a random sex scene. I thought there were a lot of things that were very ineffective in this movie Mm -hmm. and it wasn't paced properly and I didn't enjoy the direction of the film. Okay, wait. That being Uh, Okay, can I just jump in for a quick second? Because I have a theory. I totally thought the same things and I was racking my brain trying to figure out why they would do it that way. And the best thing I could come up with was if they didn't add that 40-minute preamble, it would have seemed so cheap it would have seemed like a lifetime movie or a soap opera because the the plot is actually so out there i'm not saying it hasn't happened but like come on so i think that that boring 40 minute setup was to get us to believe that this is a serious movie and not something on the hallmark channel i see what you're saying i just don't need 40 minutes of it i believe (laughs) I believe after even 10, just 10 minutes is fine because even like the sex scene was like two seconds. Yeah. Yeah. And Hey, we're fine you know. with the Hallmark channel. Nothing against the Hallmark channel. Yeah. <laughs> um, but okay. So whenever uh, I'm watching this film, because th- this film really goes off the deep end at one mm-hmm. point because she is doing these DNA tests and then she finds out that the baby is not, Um, hers. So she um, speculates that it's Anna's and then, oh, did Anna have her baby? Which she did, but then Anna said that because they, uh, what I thought was really, really funny is whenever Anna comes back into the film later because um, she and Anna haven't seen each other in in a few years, then she runs into her at a cafe, which she lives right next to. What a fun coincidence. And Anna when I saw her, I'm like, okay, where is this like Billy Idol haircut going? <laughs> I, I, mean, <laughs> I was, I was yes. like, are, I was like, okay, are we gonna, are we gonna have like a gay couple moment? Like, is that where this is going? And it did. Yeah, it did. It went there. Um, so I thought that was really funny. I'm like, did we need the Billy Idol haircut to make that happen? I don't know, but um, I thought that was very funny. Um, Overall, I didn't, though, did you expect the lesbian stuff? I didn't. Ex- that came out of left field for me. I was surprised. Once, once I saw the haircut, I was like, <laughs> "Okay, I think this is turning into a gay movie." <laughs> I, I, I think that's that's what this is, and I was right. correct. Yes. Um, but I, it's kind of okay. This movie you just did I, the Kristen Stewart throw up or cry thing. <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've been practicing for this episode. Um overall, I just have to say that 
Penelope Cruz is acting circles around these people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She, it did start to feel like a telenovela soap opera Mm -hmm. at one point where it was like, you you are, this is not my baby. Who has my baby? There was a baby swapped at the hospital and now I'm having a gay love affair. Like it was just, it was, it all just seemed a bit much. I don't think I would ever watch this movie again. I wasn't crazy about the movie. I don't know if the drudging up the family members who were, in unmarked graves during the Spanish Civil War. I don't know if that was effective. I hated the pacing of this movie. I hated um, the direction. I just completely understand why Penelope Cruz was nominated for this movie because in my opinion, this movie was fucking ridiculous and Penelope Cruz was making it believable. She was selling it. And I think that she was... I completely understand why she was really the only reason why this nomination... Let me double check. I'm pretty sure the only nomination for this movie was for her. And I can, let me double check here. No, it was nominated for two. Oh, yes. Yes. Best achievement in music written for motion pictures for original score. I actually wrote in my notes that a lot of the effectiveness in this movie is a result of the score because there was this kind of sense of tension and it was almost like this thriller level of uh, dramatics. And I thought that that made the movie much more effective. I think it was Penelope Cruz that made this film effective and the music. And those were the two things that were nominated. Frankly, everything else in this film, I could take or leave. I I just felt like Penelope Cruz was just acting circles around these people. Yeah, you see what I mean? Without Penelope and without the score, it would have been a Hallmark Channel movie. And yes. So, and like, it really would have. But I have two questions for you, Kyle, because I'm curious what you thought about two things in this movie. Uh, the lesbian storyline, again, do you think it was like actual love or like sexual attraction between the two characters? Or was it more just this bond that like a lot of people have when they share trauma? So I'm like, do you really love her? Is it really sexual or is it just this deep experience you had? I mean... I don't know. Like, I mean, like, I know that female attraction is different than male attraction because male attraction tends to be more physical where female attraction tends to be more emotional. And they say that like a man's brain is like compartments of things where a woman's brain is like a ball of yarn and everything is connected. So I feel like that would lend to if everything is connected, maybe they have this emotional connection. Maybe she's going through some sort of postpartum that she never shook. I don't know. I mean, it's been years. I don't know how long postpartum lasts for, but I'm just saying that like um, they've been through so much together that I think that emotionally they were like, well, you're the only person that could understand this. Um, The big moment whenever she finally reveals, I, Penelope Cruz, have your daughter. And the way that she does the DNA test, I thought that was kind of, it wasn't subtle at all. Like she's like, hi, I'm wearing plastic gloves. You just got out of the shower. Did you eat anything today? Here, spit it. Like I'm going to swab your cheek. No reason. Bye. I thought that was kind of silly. Um, But yeah, I I think um, again, Hallmark level of drama, would they be an actual 
gay couple, um, I don't know, but I would say I wasn't surprised by it when I saw the haircut. <laughs> and also, if they were men, isn't that, the age difference would have been a whole other story? I feel like yeah, if it true. was an older mm. guy with a young with a young man, I don't know. Like it's just the layers of the of the gayness struck me because I was kept thinking about like if this was two guys or even a straight couple, how unusual it would be. But they did a great job in that. But the other question I have for you was the subtitles. Like, I don't know if there was an English dubbed version, but I the one I watched was the full Spanish. And I, I just, I generally have a hard time with subtitles. So I feel like I couldn't accurately compare it to the other movies that we're watching because it's just so different. You know, this is where I feel like the script wasn't really great because I just watched Marriage Italian Style with Sofia Loren. Obviously, English subtitles because it's Italian. Yeah. And I remember keeping up with everything. I did not miss a beat. I was so um, engrossed in this film. I loved every minute of it. And I don't think for Parallel Mothers, I don't think it was the subtitles. I really just think it was the plot. I think it was the script. I think it was the direction. And I just, I think there were so many things that just weren't effective. But like I'm saying, Penelope Cruz is doing all the heavy lifting here. She is carrying this picture on her back. And, um, it's just, it's a soap opera that she grounds and makes extremely effective with her reactions. And um, also, this has nothing to do with the performance, but like, she is just stunning. Oh. She's such a star. Like, you just can't take your eyes off of her. But honorable mention to the Billy Idol haircut. Yes, that was, that should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actress. <laughs> Somewhere I have just the hair. listening to this podcast, like, yeah! Good <laughs> choice. Um, but a couple facts about this movie, uh, Penelope Cruz's, uh, best actress Oscar nomination marks the second time in the 21st century that an actress nominated in a lead category without hitting any major precursor awards. She was not nominated for a golden globe. She was not nominated for a BAFTA. She was not nominated for a screen actors. And the second time was this year for Andrea Riseborough. Um, oh no, the third time was, uh, Andrea Riseborough. Uh, for To Leslie, which I have not seen okay. uh, yet. But um, in the scene where the family arrives in the red car, director um, Almo Dovar uses red cars throughout all of his films, including Volver, which Penelope Cruz was also nominated for Best Actress. Wow. Um, okay. So, okay. Anybody listening to this podcast, should you watch parallel mothers my answer is you can take a pass on this one i I didn't really like this movie but i completely understand the nomination okay fair that's diplomatic that's well said and i knew that's where you were going i thought you were going to say for anybody that should watch this movie don't i picture the usual kyle brown like don't But uh, I, I actually have to say you made me want to watch it more because you watched it before me. And as soon as Kyle watched it, he texts me and he goes, well, Parallel Mothers is fucking weird. <laughs> I couldn't watch I mean, it, actually. But you were right. But do you even... But like, do you remember the scene where Penelope Cruz, she says that she hates her au pair who's like watching after her baby? Yeah. She just hates her, but they don't ever explain why. Yeah. And then she just comes in and just like yells at her. And then you're like, I don't understand where this, again, going back to the writing, I just, I, there were so many things that were ineffective in this movie that I found distracting and frustrating. 
And I, it's just, yeah, it's just, is there a big, I think maybe the Oscar moment is when she does tell Anna that she it technically is like, <laughs> has her baby and it's her, it's her child and um, the, 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 the breakup and, you know, they do end up being friends in the end. And then she gets back together with Arturo and yeah. there was just a lot of things that I wish I could have seen um, explained more. And I think that there should have been things that should have been explained less, like the 40 minute setup and a lot of that unmarked grave thing. I understand it was a device. It was symbolic. I just don't think it was effective. And I just wasn't a fan of this movie. And I just, I just, yeah, great acting from Penelope Cruz. That's it for me. Well, and we keep coming back to this thing where it's very telenovela, very Hallmark. And I think because of that, we were supposed to suspend belief for a lot of these things. Like, why do you hate the au pair? You never get things explained in a soap opera. But in this case, because of the type of movie it was, it would have been nice. And it did get nominated for like best foreign film at the BAFTAs. And I'm actually really glad that this did not, this did not get nominated for best foreign film because yeah, I just, I'm not a fan. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't watch this again. Um, yeah. Anyway, I preferred her in uh, Volver. I preferred her in Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Um, but hey, congrats on the Oscar nomination. No. She was also nominated that year with her husband, Javier Bardem. So as a married couple, that probably is an amazing feeling. There you go. It sounds like we just said, but she has a really pretty face. Yeah. <laughs> Heart of gold, though. Heart of yeah. gold. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Do you have anything else that you would like to add to her performance before we move no, on. No, I can't wait to talk about Tammy. Yeah, this one's going to be fun. So very quickly, uh, Jessica Chastain in the eyes of Tammy Faye, quickly uh, an intimate look at the extraordinary rise, fall, and redemption of televangelist Tammy Faye Baker. And the eyes of Tammy Faye was actually an originally a documentary released in 2000, and it was narrated by RuPaul. Makes sense to me because obviously people would love uh, Tammy Faye because she was so supportive and um, outspoken of LGBTQ people um humanizing them uh she had people who were dying of aids during the aids crisis on her tv show and she showed them warmth and compassion um and uh you know obviously gays would fall in love with her because of that not just because of the, her compassion but also because she literally looks like a drag queen yeah. like she looks like bianca del rio on her best day you know what i mean like bianca wishes Oh yeah, there, there. She, she's a drag queen. She's a singer. She, it's, she's this larger than life character, um, you know. And I think for Jessica Chastain, she has such range. You have Molly, Ga Molly's Game. You have, I think, what is it? A History of Violence. You have mm -hmm. um, uh, Zero Dark Thirty. You have The Help. There are so many movies that this woman has been in, and this movie doesn't disappoint. Um, you know, she got the rights to this film, I think, in what, like 2012, and she felt very drawn to this character, and um, I can see why this would be like an actor's dream, because uh, these televangelists truly are performers. Yeah. Like, it, it is like an acting role, because this is just this larger-than-life character, and I think Jessica Chastain really nails it. Sometimes the makeup and the the prosthetics were a little bit distracting, but hey, this movie won Best Hair and Makeup Styling, so what do I know? Yeah. And, um, you know, I okay. first time... I'm sorry to interrupt well, you, but everything that you just said about the hair and makeup, combined with the accent, combined with the over-the-top personality, I think a little bit from all those columns is what maybe made it feel a little Saturday Night Live-ish sometimes. Really, it wasn't. <laughs> 
Well, the first time I watched this movie, I watched it on a plane and I fucking hated it. Uh, This time around, I very much appreciated the performance. I very much appreciated the film. I even thought, was Andrew Garfield the right choice until I saw the actual photo of Jim Baker and he looks exactly like him. So yes. Anyway. I have a lot of opinions about this movie, but you you talk now because I, I just I talk too much. So so what do you think about uh, this movie and what do you think about the performance? Well, I thought, like I just said, she could have easily gone down the SNL route and she didn't. Like the physical transformation was amazing. I know prosthetics helped with that. Uh, I was I was impressed with her accent and her GM and her voice had like not just the accent, but the inflection. She must have practiced and watched a lot of Tammy Faye, which I know there's a lot of videos out there. But uh, I don't know, like, there's so many things. I love how her character arc, she got more corrupt, the more famous and more rich they got. Like, I, you could see that darkness set in. Yeah. Love that. I think, I mean, I think my favorite comedic moment of this movie is just throughout being able to, and I just feel like this is such a Christian thing to do, justify your actions by being like, well, I spoke to God and God told me that he wants me to fill in the blank. Yes, yes. Well, there's so many like that. And if it's coming from a puppet, well. Yeah. And I, I love I love just the, the, the pure, egotistically maniacal, like motivation behind those words. Like, well, I've been speaking to God and you know, God has a plan yeah. for me. He told me that he wants me to go to Mexico next month, take a month off of work. He told me that that was part of uh, his plan. You know, yeah. it, it, it's, it's just, to me, that's comedy because I believe in religious freedom. If anybody listening to this, if you are um, Catholic, Christian, United, whatever you are, honey, I do not care. I I was raised in the Catholic Church. I used to be an altar server at the Divine Infant Parish growing up. I was a very religious child. I am no longer a religious person. I frankly find um, religious, specifically Christian uh, you know, institutions to be very frustrating for many hypocritical reasons. But hey, that is not what this podcast is about. Overall, what I am, I'm going to just, I'm just going to say that for me, this movie was a lot of fun uh, because she really went there with the Christianity thing and praised God and, you know, just how over the top she was. She embodied the Christian spirit of Tammy Faye so well. And she even makes you feel loved and feel like motivated to tune in and watch her and preach about God and preach about Jesus. And I love that they didn't shy away from, um, you know, the embezzlement of the, uh, what was it? TL funds. And uh, I remember the first time I watched this, I was so cynical about it. And I remember just being like, this movie is trying to please everybody because it's about like, like the good Christian God, you know, up in heaven. Uh, but also we're talking about gay people. And I just think that God doesn't make any junk. So it was trying to appeal to conservatives through like being about, you know, Christianity and God and, and fucking Pat Robertson, for example. So you're like, okay, so this movie is going to appeal to people who watch Fox News, Fox News maybe. Right. But then when they had that LGBTQ angle, it's like they're trying to appeal to liberals as well. And um, I always find when movies try to please everybody, they please nobody. Yeah. And I just, for me, I was so cynical about it. I was like, Ugh. I was like, Ugh. and I really did not enjoy this movie the first time that I watched it. But watching it again, 
I completely understand why she was nominated for this performance. I completely understand why she won this Oscar. And I completely uh, think that she gave an amazing performance as this person. But I just find this whole evangelical institution to be so damaging for so many reasons. And it's just, yeah, I'm obviously not a pro-religious person. So this is maybe not a movie I would watch again. Um, but it's hard to or, separate it. Like th- that's why it's so much more difficult, right? To separate the talent and yeah. the performance from this because it's such kind of a gross subject matter. But yeah. I like, before I watched this movie, I, I've known of Tammy Faye Baker, I, but I kind of thought she was this sort of villainesque, larger than life cartoon character. Right. Like they did do a good job of humanizing her. Like people, anybody can get swept up by money and fame. Doesn't matter what industry you're in. And that's mm-hmm. definitely what happened to them. You know, I saw somebody uh, describe with some critic describe her performance as unleashed, but not unhinged. And I really great way of putting it. That is a really great. I love that. Yeah. That is a really great way of putting it because it could have been caricature. It totally could have. And did you know that her husband was like a little bit gay? Like I didn't know. I didn't know any of that. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, they're like, and what do you say to the allegations of men who you've had sexual advances towards since the 1950s? Oh. And what was it that he said? He's like, I was having these urges that only the devil would approve of, but that was only for, for women. I, I, that is not true. I never did that. And you're like, Oh my God, 1980s America was just so innocent where you could simply just say like, or 1990s. I mean, Bill Clinton, like I did not have relations with that woman. And people are just like, okay, yeah, great. He he said he didn't great. And you just, believe him if there are multiple men coming forward being like he tried to fuck me in the ass i'd be like yeah that's there's probably some validity to right that. no yeah we were just wrestling i was just wrestling. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh my is that what you and your soldiers do as foreplay you guys are just you just wrestle oh is that how it starts right, we should do another podcast i'll tell you everything i've never had anything like that before i've barely even been in a threesome Oh my God. You know, sometimes I forget how sexual gay men can be. And the other, this was last week. I went to a gay bar with my, um, with Catherine Niker. She is uh, beloved on this podcast. She's one of my favorite guests to have. And we went to Woody's and it was packed. And there were these guys that were there and this guy comes over and just starts talking to Catherine about my dick, because I guess we like hooked up one time. I don't remember. And he just starts describing my dick to Catherine. And she's like, uh, and then this other guy who was standing there was literally like, oh, really? And then he put his hands down yeah. my pants and started grabbing my dick and was describing my dick to her. And I I was so drunk that I was like, yeah. And then I just literally thought like, she is probably fucking mortified right now because I'm so used to how over the top sexualized gay people are that sometimes we forget ourselves like, hey, like most people, especially straight people, like this is a lot for them. So maybe we need to just turn down the volume on this. And that's why your comedy special is called Introducing Lyle. Yeah. That's what's there. You know, somebody, and I wish I could remember who, God damn it. Somebody's described your dick to me before too. (laughs) I don't remember who it was, but somebody, and it was very positive things to say. Oh, yes. I, uh, (laughs) it was, it was me. Uh, (laughs) Well, I'll tell you something hot about my 
throuple situation. So one night I slept over and I guess they have a queen size bed. So we all, it was a tight fit, but we slept there. Well, the next date I go over, they had moved their bed and their guest bed into the living room to create a super bed. So it was like oh. this super bed sex square and we had a great time in the living room. <laughs> Gays will Ikea anything yeah, to accommodate right. a work. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, I think there was, uh, I, I, I don't like, cause the diet Coke can that Tammy Faye kept using became like her oh, yeah. accessory. And I, I loved the visual of it. Um, great. Uh, like iconography of the costumes and the garish makeup and the diet Coke can and her little, you know, dog that she had. Yeah, right. Um, I think for me though, cause it was a bit of an over the top performance, for me, her Oscar moments was when they lose everything. Yeah, okay. And she is no longer being as big and respectful and kind to people that are in positions of authority because they don't present her as being this victim. It's like they do present her in a way where it's like, no, like you guys were not only embezzling that money, but also like, did you really need millions of dollars to preach about Jesus? I mean, mm. it doesn't Jesus say like, blessed those who are meek. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I love that they present the hypocrisy of their actions in a, in an honest way. I thought that was very effective, but just when she loses everything her marriage is ending she visits visits him in prison when people are talking about her calling her a clown and the way that she handles those women for those reactions when she talks to those three teenage boys that are making fun of her and she just goes up to them and she shows them kindness you know that's who tammy faye was and i just think that jessica chastain it's just yeah that she just embodies her so so well and um this is such an amazing performance of Jessica Chastain. Is this my favorite performance of hers? No, because I don't love this movie. But oh my god, it's incredible. Like she's incredible in this movie. I have to say my favorite Jessica Chastain performance is in Jurassic World when she's running away from a T-Rex in high heels. That's <laughs> an Oscar. She are are you joking cuz you're talking about Bryce Dallas Howard? Yes, I'm joking. <laughs> okay, good cuz I was going to say there were a few moments where she had like with the jawline, she kind of looked like Bryce Dallas yeah, Howard. <laughs> I, I do find they look very much alike, but that, I know people compare them all the time. So yes, I do know the difference. I was trying to be funny. I always think about too, in the movie, whenever she forces herself to the table uh, where Pat Robertson and uh, what's his face, all of the like main people in the like, you know, televangelist mafia are, they're all sitting there and discussing and she shows up as a woman and pulls up a table and wants yeah. to have the conversation and they're just disgusted with her. I love that scene. Yeah. Oh, the whole, and how they open the movie too with the eyelashes, like the very first thing is like poof, the lashes. Like yeah. that was powerful. <laughs> I don't, what that's my signature look. If I don't have that, people aren't gonna know, you know, that it's me. I I love it. She's so protective of her character. That's how I feel about a glass of wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Also, oh, that sexy like Nashville producer that she has oh. like a dry hump affair with. Yes. <laughs> oh, the, I kind of thought those dry hump scenes were hot. They did a good yeah, they job. Were. Yeah, they really, they really were. Um. But you know, I you can really see um, the full journey from beginning to end of Tammy Faye, her origin yeah. and where she ended up. And I just think that Jessica Chastain, one thing that she was very lucky for was that the script 
allowed that to happen. Because if you're talking about Penelope Cruz, you do see a journey of a few years. For Kristen Stewart, it's kind of like a weekend. For Nicole Kidman, it's kind of like a week. For Olivia Coleman, it's like a week. So I think that she kind of has an advantage here because she gets to just demonstrate how far she can go with this character, which would help lend to like an Oscar narrative of why she could win. But to be honest with you, I just remember, and I said this at the beginning of the uh, podcast, I remember just being like, honestly, I guess just give it to Jessica Chastain. I think she's going to win, but I don't know if this is her big winning moment, you know, like Charlize Theron in, uh, in monster or um, Meryl Streep in Sophie's choice. It's like Jessica Chastain is so good. Is this her big Oscar moment? Mm -hmm. I didn't think so. And when she won, I just remember not thinking that it wasn't like a strong year, but like I said at the beginning, these are great actresses in what I would describe as just like good ish movies well when i boil it down to my top three which i know we're getting near the end so it's okay to say this it was going to be between uh nicole jessica and Kristen. and so if mm-hmm. let's say you put those in the top three how are you going to give it to nicole or Kristen when tammy has that arc that you just described so i exactly that's exactly what i think it came down to you're so i mean that's that is really what it what it did um, come down to, I think, because you did get to see more of it. She gets to demonstrate her range. So I just have a couple of um, facts here. Jessica Chastain said that she initially had the impression that Tammy Faye Baker often had running mascara as parodies and impressions of Tammy Faye on late night, Saturday night live TV, oh. uh, which is really funny because that's what you said off the top, often featured her crying with heavily running mascara. Chastain noted that when researching Tammy Faye, she couldn't find a single image or video with her mascara running. Tammy Faye only wore waterproof mascara. Uh, The film has been a passion project of Chastain's Chastain's for a number of years before it ended up being made. Um, She has seen the documentary, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, and around 2012, she felt drawn to tell Tammy's story and then acquired the rights to produce a biopic about the infamous televangelist. So she was actually a producer on this movie. Nice. Good for her. I didn't know that. Final thing, although this movie alludes to Tammy Faye's suspicions and other rumors that Jim Baker might be gay, um, it does not chronicle the role that several allegations that he had engaged in affairs with men played in his downfall as a televangelist. Two men, fellow PTL televangelists, John Wellesley Fletcher and former PTL official Jay Babcock, both testified to the grand jury investigating Baker's charges. They had engaged in sex with Baker, though Baker swore, and also under oath, like that means anything, that he had never had a homosexual encounter. Fletcher, quote, uh, in brackets, uh, his first name was changed to Richard in the film, portrayed in this movie by Louis cancel me cancel me (laughs) that's really funny i need to make a drag queen name cancel me uh also lost his ministry in the aftermath of the baker scandals in the 2017 oxford university press book ptl the rise and fall of jim and tammy faye baker's evangelical empire author john h wigger writes that john wesley fletcher died in 1996 reportedly of aids wow So there was a lot going on there, but the movie kind of implies, but they don't obviously confirm anything. Well, they can't confirm, Kyle, because you know it's not really gay if you don't kiss. 
<laughs> oh, that's so true. That's what the guys at the gym tell me. <laughs> and your soldier boy. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, okay. So this has been a very interesting uh, discussion, very interesting episode. Uh, it's fun talking about an episode that has been so recent and fresh in my memory. So this was really fun to talk about. But I think that we've arrived at the time for us to reveal who we think that the Oscar should have gone to. So you are my guest of honor. Please go first. I think the Oscar should have gone to... to jessica chastain oh nice okay why because i kind of already spoiled this but i think that for me those they were the top three Kristen, nicole and jessica and the arc that jessica brought to the role like the different time periods and how i totally lost jessica chastain in the role of tammy faye baker whereas i could still see glimpses of Kristen stewart and princess diana and um and the other one, which I'm already blocking out right now. Oh, yeah. Lucille Ball, of course. Fair enough. Okay, I love that. So uh, I think that the Oscars should have gone to... Kristen Stewart for Spencer. I actually genuinely thought she was going to walk away with this Oscar because I remembered the nomination. Everybody was like, oh, she did get nominated. And I remember because Penelope Cruz got in there, I remember being like, this is kind of a random group. I mean, I've never even heard of this movie and um, she wasn't nominated for any of the precursors. So, you know, maybe she's going to spoil and she's actually going to win this Oscar. For me, this movie is such a victory for her because she... Again, when you're watching it, you're like, ugh, all I see is Twilight. I see Snow White and the Huntsman. But then your body is telling you that for the first 20 minutes, and then you're resisting her performance. But then she sells it. She nails it. She proves everybody wrong. She proved the critics wrong. She proved audiences wrong. She was Diana. Even the guy who was her real-life bodyguard said that this was the most accurate portrayal of her. Mm -hmm. I think that that needs to be considered as well. I think that the movie is like a little bit strange, but I think that it does, it captures um, her sense of being trapped and mental health issues and her eating disorder very well. I do wish that there was more of a background on Charles and Camilla. It would have made the story more sympathetic, but hey, I know about it now because of the crown. So I was such a fan of this performance. And I think that this movie and this role was such a victory for her on more than for more than one reason. And I just absolutely loved it. And I think that she, for me was the Oscar winner. Well, my, one of my best friends, Jan is going to love this episode because she's a Kristen Stewart stan. And, and she's like, if you don't choose Kristen, she knew I was doing this show. And I said, well, <laughs> so I'll tell her you did. And you know, maybe I need to give her more credit because as a self-proclaimed Kristen Stewart hater, I enjoyed this movie and she kind of changed my opinion. So that's got to count for something, but I'm sticking with Tammy. I get it. I mean, listen, I think Jessica Chastain deserves an Oscar. She needs to have an Oscar and I'm glad that she has one. It's just for me, it wasn't the eyes of Tammy Faye. It would have been either like zero dark 30 or even the help to be honest with Mm -hmm. you. But I get, I understand why she won and I'm, I'm happy that she has an Oscar, but just personal preference, Kristen Stewart and Spencer. They were all good. They were all good. All good. Okay. So um, that being said, uh, okay, thank you so much, Jesse Reynolds, for being a guest on this podcast again. We always love having you. Where can people find you on social media? You can find me at If You Seek Jesse, like the Britney song, If You Seek Amy, just swap out Amy for Jesse. Or check out my website, find out what's up, jessereynolds.ca. Amazing. Okay. Well, thank you, Jesse. We'll have to have you back again. Bye. Cheers. Did you enjoy the show? 
want to hear more episodes? Visit patreon.com slash bestactress to access our entire catalog of episodes ad-free with your subscription. Subscribers also get access to new episodes one day earlier than everyone else. Oh my god. Go to patreon.com slash bestactress to subscribe, and I will see you all at Howard's End.